Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. In this episode, you'll hear part one of my conversation with Tracy Penny Light from St. George's University and ABLE, the Association for Authentic, Experiential, and Evidence-Based Learning. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. I'm so pleased today to welcome Tracy Penny Light to Digication Scholars Conversations. Tracy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here with you. I'm thrilled to talk to you today. Uh, Tracy Penny Light is the Professor and Director of Leadership and Excellence in Academic Development Division at St. George's University. She's also the President and Board Chair of ABLE, the Association for Authentic, Experiential, and Evidence-Based Learning. So Tracy, I was thinking back about when we possibly first met, and I couldn't recall if it was at a conference, maybe AACNU, or if it was through some wonderful time with Helen Chen and John Idelson. I know you visited Palo Alto uh, when you were working on a book documenting learning with ePortfolios, a guide for college instructors. And uh, I remember that visit, but I was trying to think back if that's when we were first introduced or if it was earlier. Do you remember? <laughs> it's been a while. Oh my gosh, it's been so long. I I feel like we probably knew each other before that because I remember coming over to the Digication offices and things during that visit. Um, and it was so fun to be there with all of you and really fun to be there with Helen and John. And, you know, the way we wrote that book is I basically moved in with Helen and her family <laughs> and then John would come up and hang with us at certain points. But I feel like we probably did know each other before that because either at an ABLE or an AACNU conference, yeah, I feel like that that book happened, you know, sort of after we we're in the thick of things with ePortfolios because it was like 2010. Yeah. 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 So I would love to hear, because I know when you first got involved with ePortfolios, you were uh, a faculty member at the time. And to kind of kick our conversation off today, I would love to just hear a little bit about how you first got introduced to ePortfolios and this incredible journey that you've been on in this field to, to where you are today. It's crazy to think that I think I was first introduced to ePortfolios maybe over almost 20 years ago now, which makes me feel really old. Um, but I, you know, I think I'm still 25 at heart, but, but a better version of 25. Um, yeah, I was, I was working at the University of Waterloo and my role at the time was as an adjunct faculty member in the history department. And then my full-time role was working in our center for learning and teaching through technology or LT3 as we lovingly called it. And I basically manage strategic innovation projects at Waterloo. And so we would go, I mean, those were back in the days where we had 
funding to go to conferences and things and, and, and the ability to do so. And so we would go to different events and, my boss said, and we would sort of all divide and conquer. My boss said, you know, I've, I've been hearing people speak about this e-portfolio thing. So Tracy, I want you to go and figure it out and see whether we should be doing that at Waterloo. And so I think it was an early on, I don't even remember the conference, but I remember going to, there was a meeting and I went to a meeting and it was with Susan Kahn and I think Kathleen Yancey was there and, yeah. and a bunch of other who we now know as usual suspects, but I mean, they were, they were the real pioneers at the time. And I remember kind of sitting right. in the back and sort of listening and thinking, Oh, I, wow. I'd love to meet Susan Kahn. <laughs> and, and she and I actually have since become great friends, but um, yes. yeah. And so I, I, you know, I kind of went to this conference. I came back to Waterloo. I said, yeah, I think there's something really interesting here. Maybe I could test test this out in my class. And so I was teaching a large history course that I had been brought in by the chair to, for lack of a better way of framing it, make it more rigorous. It was a a course called History and Film. And every, you know, all the students at Waterloo, and Waterloo's a big um, computer science engineering school. So, you know, um, I it was a course because students thought, oh, it's Monday night at the movies. I'm going to go take this easy class and fulfill my, my, right. you know, requirement to have a, you know, humanities elective. So <clears throat> all these students were in class and I think they really did view it as Monday night at the movies. And so the chair sort of said, I, you know, I feel like you could make it a little bit more rigorous. So I went in with that charge and thought, how the heck am I going to make this meaningful for students who aren't really that interested in history. And Mm -hmm. it seemed to me that teaching it as a bit of history of popular culture, I ended up framing it around Cold War America because there's a lot of great films Mm -hmm. that kind of come out in that period. And it was a period that I thought would be familiar to students. And yeah, and, and then I thought, okay, how can I get them to really develop their critical thinking skills or their ability to think historically? And ePortfolios seem like a great way to do this, to have them be documenting their learning of history in the context of the course, but in a way that would also enable them to transfer that learning to the context that they really wanted to learn and work in. So what does historical thinking mean for an engineer? What does it mean Mm -hmm. for an accounting major? You know, and, and so I use the the portfolio and really the process of folio thinking, which as you know, and, and maybe your listeners will know, really comes from the work of Helen Chen and her colleagues at Stanford. And it's really that process of thinking and rethinking and making connections between and among learning experiences that's at the heart of what I think all really good portfolio initiatives sort of Im- embed. Mm-hmm. And and I had them reflecting on, you know, what is what does this film mean for my learning? How can I transfer the learning from, you know, this week in the course to my my learning in my other contexts? And the portfolio became this way for students to really represent what that meant for them. And when I started doing it, I had no idea what I was gonna get. I mean, not only was I tasked with 
trying to transform this course into a more meaningful learning experience for students, but but also wanting to add this, you know, innovation on top of it. And I remember yeah. students are like, why are we doing the, right? why do we have to write reflections and why do we have to create a portfolio? And I kind of sold it as you're not going to have to do a final exam. You know, this is going to take the place of your final exam. And so 250 students thought, well, I don't really like final exams. So then maybe that's a trade-off. And I had no idea what I was going to get. And students presented these pictures of themselves and their learning that I could never have imagined. I couldn't have planned for it. I couldn't have directed them to create these various versions of learning that ended up being represented in their portfolios. And it just reinforced for me the importance of allowing students to tell us what they're learning from their various experiences. You know, we, we can do all kinds of good work planning for that, you know, and, and creating the conditions whereby they're able to make those connections. But it's really about opening up space for them to be themselves and for them to make connections in a way that that's meaningful for them. And so I remember students at the time kind of being a little bit perplexed about you mean you want me to talk about my engineering class, but in your history class, because aren't we supposed to be only talking about history in the history class? And I would sort of push them and say, well, no, I, yes, let's talk about the history for sure. But, you know, how do these various films land for you? You know, when we, when we're talking about the Cold War, I mean, and, and this University of Waterloo is in Canada, so a little different experience than um, the the Cold War experience in in the United States or or elsewhere in the world, you know where does where does this what resonates for you? Where where do you think there are connections between some of the conversations that were happening in the films of the time to contemporary context? And so we actually took mm-hmm. that course up to about the 1990s, and and so it was fascinating to watch them have these little sparks of wait a minute we're kind of having conversations like this still today. Why is that? What, you know, what happened? Like, why are we still thinking about things in the context of, you know, communism or, you know, capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, where, where are these things coming up again? And, and so really getting them to think about the context in which they were learning, the context in which the films were produced, how as historians, that context is really central to all of our thinking and understanding about the world. And, you know, in that case, we were really using films as primary sources, but, you know, mm-hmm. historians generally use archival documents or other kinds of um, sources to really help them to flesh out what, what, what's happening at a given moment in time and what are those various factors that are playing into the context. Um, and, and really, I think for me, the, the main message that I wanted the students to understand and to take away is that that process of critical thinking is really rooted in our own positionality. So even the best historians can't take themselves out of that process of understanding the past because we frame our reading of the various materials based on our own experiences. And I think that's something that, um, you know, 
is important for all students to understand, whether they're going to be history majors, whether they're going to be engineers, like why do I want to build a bridge in this way? What's shaping, what's influenced my thinking about you know, bridge building, If and to be really simple, simple about it. I mean, now I work in a medical school, and so I'm often asking my colleagues because I primarily do, um, you know, work with faculty and in, in, in creating learning experiences for them to improve their teaching, you know, using examples from their own areas. You know, what does this look like when you're trying to teach a student to suture something, you know, and, right. and how is your experience playing into the way that you're teaching this material. Um, so, yeah, and I think the portfolio processes that we that we sort of have developed over time, which really are about that folio thinking that I mentioned earlier, play such an important role in all of the work that we do. And it doesn't need to result in a full-blown, here's a portfolio that I created. But I think when we engage in that practice of thinking and rethinking, stepping back, looking at the forest, you know, not and and looking at the trees and trying to figure out, you know, what's happening? Who am I? How do I fit into this context? To me, that's why portfolio practices and pedagogies are so powerful because they really position the learner at the heart of everything. The learner, regardless of whether it's a student or a faculty member or a community um, organizer, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really matter. Who am I? How does my positionality impact how I'm understanding this material? How can I tell my story and still bring in the threads from a lot of different contexts so that I better understand whatever I'm exploring, whether it's you know faculty development or whether it's learning history, And then how do I take that learning with me and use it beyond this one experience? And I think that's, that's one of those challenges that we haven't necessarily come up with brilliant solutions to yet. You know, we know, and in the field of portfolios, we see lots of great examples of students doing portfolio work while they're in a particular course or a program. And how do we extend that experience to ensure that that continues to happen throughout their learning career, which of course is long beyond a particular program or when we graduate right. a, from a, a campus. And I think that to me, that's where the, the, the work needs to go, you know, or continue to go in terms of moving things forward, because that ability to transfer knowledge between and among contexts to me is at the heart of what we want to be promoting and enabling with portfolio practice. And then how do we, look and see is it does it happen beyond you know their time spent with us and I think that's where students are really essential to the whole conversation because they they need to help us understand what needs to be embedded in their experience so that they will continue to think and rethink as they move forward in their careers yeah Absolutely. That was a long-winded yeah. answer to your question. No, no, I was just thinking that it kind of circles back to bridges. <laughs> How do we create yeah, that bridge absolutely. so that they can continue in that process, even though it may not be exactly guided by a course or a program, um, but something that they can continue it, it, to engage in after they graduate. 
Exactly. And that, I mean, that makes me think of um, the work of Mary Taylor Huber and Pat Hutchings, you know, the, all this, the work on integrative learning from the early 2000s that really pointed to the need for that integration so that we could prepare our students for life beyond the academy and help them to really embody those skills and abilities so that when they went into their future careers, they would be better citizens. And and I think that that's such an important thing to continue to think about, especially now as we're in a you know, this, the context of a global pandemic that seems like it may never end. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and all of the social systems and challenges and inequities that it has illuminated and how we can help our learners and our colleagues prepare to respond in ways that are inclusive, equitable, um, that, that don't, you know, sort of just shove under the rug the challenges that we know exist and how do we create better systems moving forward, whether that's better systems for identifying viruses that might spiral out of control or whether that's how to how to just be better people. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about that because I, I am encountering lots of colleagues, students who are just really struggling with, um, you know, where things are at, whether that's for themselves personally, whether that's around the systems that are in place in our various countries that, you know, produce those inequities and reinforce them even. Um, And how do we, how do we get, how do we get through that um, collectively? It's, it's a, it's a big challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned something earlier when you were talking about even in this first course where you were starting to experiment with e-portfolios and seeing these kind of sparks that students have when they were, you know, saying, oh, okay, so you want me to talk about what I'm learning in my other courses. Okay, uh, I guess you care about that too. And then probably starting to share a little bit about, you know, that who am I component. Um, and that, you know, a faculty member and a teacher and instructor can also care about the person that's behind the work that's <laughs> being turned in in class. And um, we talk a lot at education about this, uh, you know, whole storytelling and um, being seen and being heard and being recognized as this powerful component of e-portfolios that was not, you know, in the beginning of our thinking about the tools that we were building, but almost immediately became the response that we were getting from the people that were contributing work into their e-portfolios that very quickly, you know, even when the beginning days when we were, um, experimenting with our own students with the portfolios at Rhode Island School of Design, it very quickly was not just about the the art and design that they were making or when we were in the education program, the lesson plans and curriculum maps that they were designing. It was the 
person behind that and the experiences that led them to that time that they were creating the work. Um, and that kind of forward thinking about, you know, why they were creating the work and where they wanted to take it afterward. So I was kind of curious and I, and I love that from that beginning experience that you had teaching that you had this kind of immediate success (laughs) with your students and that, (laughs) I know it's always an iterative process. But uh, I think yes. it's great that you have that story and background that you can bring into your role at ABLE, um, because I know that so many are kind of coming to that community with a lot of questions. Maybe they've heard stories like this and really want it to happen for themselves, but aren't really sure how to get started or may have some beginning ways that they've been experimenting, but don't know how to scale it within their program or even beyond that. Um, So I was hoping you could speak a little bit about your role at ABLE and maybe how that has even, uh, how the conversation may have even shifted a little bit since you first started and and what people are really talking about now, you know, what the, what the kind of undercurrent of conversation is about, about this type of technology and this um, kind of folio thinking um, that people are, are still kind of experimenting with today. Yeah, I think that the work at ABLE has just been so pivotal to my own thinking about portfolios because when you are thinking about these issues in community, you just get to have all of these different perspectives that, you know, as you said, the stories, we get to hear all Mm -hmm. the different stories and the experiences that people are having and with their students and, and with their portfolio initiatives. And I mean, I think I'm just so privileged to, to get to work with that community. You know, I think storytelling is a huge piece of, I think, portfolio work and that continues. And I think it's becoming even maybe more prominent than than it was. I think back to the days when Helen Barrett really began to speak about digital storytelling, um, her among others. You know, it's been around for a long time, this idea that we could use portfolios to tell stories about our lived experiences, both in the classroom and beyond. So I think that's always been an, uh, a theme at, at the work that we do at ABLE. Always people want to know, please just tell me which technology I should use. And uh, and so that's a tricky one for us to walk at ABLE because we, 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 we don't really, we can't really advocate for one system over another. And so we have done some work with colleagues to sort of help people think through what, what would be required for us to be successful at our institution, managing our portfolio initiative, whatever that looks like, whether it's in an individual course or whether it's in, in a program or, or institution-wide. So thinking about what, what a request for proposals might look like and how, how universities can really think through what it is they need and why they need it. You're no, um, this won't be a secret to you for sure, but, you know, people want to implement portfolios for different purposes. If you're looking to create an initiative that 
really is hinging on assessment, you're going to look for a different tool or system than you are going to look for if you want really just to surface student stories of learning. Um, and, and there's always an element of assessment and, and wanting to kind of capture evidence of learning in any ePortfolio implementation, but really thinking about what's the purpose of the portfolio initiative and what, what evidence of success would we need to see is, is kind of where we try to steer people toward, you know, really think almost just in a really simplified way. If you, you think about backward design, you know, what are the outcomes I want to achieve? <laughs> what evidence would I need to see that would be convincing and compelling that I've met the outcomes? And then how do I design the activities um, from there? The other thing that we do at ABLE is, is try to really crowdsource and, and create within the community resources that others can use. I think from, from the time that Trent Batson started ABLE and, um, you know, thank goodness he did. It just, and he, he, you know, I remember at the time him, him coming to Helen Chen and I and Darren Cambridge, who is another ePortfolio pioneer we were all together in Park City, Utah, running uh, a workshop, a th- sort of three-day workshop for folks interested in portfolios. And over dinner one night, Trent said, you know, I really think we need an, a professional organization. We should start one. And we all agreed with him. And he sort of looked to the three of us and, and he said, did. okay, <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of you could start it. And we all were like, no, Trent, we can't, we don't have time for that. <laughs> so he, he did it. He started ABLE and, um, and brought together some of the smartest people I know to, to really shape and build that community. And he, he just is so important in, in the work that we do. And I think from an early stage, really his vision was that we would be a community where we could all share resources and approaches and learn from one another so that we didn't have to continually reinvent the wheel. I would love to say that we've never reinvented the wheel, but of course we all do. I mean, I think as you said earlier, this is these are iterative processes that 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 we're yes. undertaking. And so so there's always a little bit of reinventing the wheel, but I think sometimes you do have to kind of go back a little bit in order to move forward. You know, think back to okay, 20 years ago I was using this particular approach and maybe over time that's changed or gone away. Hmm, maybe the context has changed back and maybe I need to rethink using some of those approaches again. So, yeah, I love that work that that work at Able in that we were able to to share with one another the work that we're doing. We're trying more and more to really create repositories of of materials where people can just come in and adapt, reuse, you know, share the new version back to the community. We Mm -hmm. just um, produced with colleagues from ePortfolio Ireland uh, a crowdsourced ebook on, um, you know, sort of exploring the diversity of portfolio practices. And um, Lisa Donaldson, who's a, a board member at ABLE, really took the lead on that. And it's a really nice little collection of just different stories of the the types of um, implementations that people have underway on their campuses. And I think that 
you know, we, we also had from, you know, really from Trends Leadership, a field guide to ePortfolio that, mm-hmm. that we do have on our list of things that able to, to, to do a, a version two of where we, we, again, went to the community and said, okay, who wants to collaborate to think about how we could speak about ePortfolios to people who don't know anything about them. So kind of like the Audubon Society, you know, we want to like, yeah. what's, the field, <laughs> what's the field guide look like? Like, how do we identify the, yeah, yellow-throated warbler or whatever? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I love, I love that, that we've, we have that opportunity. And what I will say about people who, participate in the ABLE community is they all are so giving of their time and expertise. And we're all so fortunate to have such a caring group of, of individuals who, mm-hmm. who are just working together to make things better for, for students ultimately, but I think yeah. by doing so for the rest of the world, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have always found that as well. And we've been, really excited to also see the kind of growing collaboration between ABLE and AACNU, which is another community that we've been so fortunate to work with. And I just find that the the kind of quality of the work that's happening with the community and the again, those kind of sparks that are happening with the groups working together across those communities has been really exciting. This concludes part one of our conversation with Tracy Penny Light from St. George's University. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Kelly Driscoll. Thanks for listening.